We had one of our best small town salutes ever today. We headed to Tyndall, Manitoba, to talk to Country Pines Christmas Tree Farm, and you have to hear this conversation. It was simply delightful. Also delightful, outdoor golf in December. Southside opened on Wednesday. They're open again today. Shooter's driving range is open as well. So we checked in with Southside to see what's the deal with December golf. We also had our monthly visit with the mayor, Scott Gillingham, who actually inspired another show-long discussion today about elevators because he got stuck in the elevator on Wednesday. He was on his way up to see Rich and Julie. He got stuck in the elevator in our building. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, December 7th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. I almost broke into like... uh voice from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I can't remember the, which which one, but it was the like the... Well, I guess even his dad. Rudolph's dad. He's got that like, Rudolph, it's Exceldor Cooperative. <laughs> but maybe it's because I was feeling festive reading this sponsor tag about poultry and thinking about how the building that we're in, 201 Portage, is hosting a holiday fa-la-la-la lunch today with roast chicken. Is that chicken. what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't it be foul? La, 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 la. Oh, oh, man. A missed How opportunity. <laughs> Come on. Well done. I think it was about a week ago, Brett, I said to you that I'm looking forward to having as much gravy as possible this December. Yeah. And uh, I'm well on my way. I was halfway through eating a roast chicken in our house last night when I turned to my husband and said, hang on. What am I doing? Like, this is going to be exactly what is on the menu tomorrow. At our building holiday lunch. So I don't know. Is that too much? I don't think so, There's right? There's no such no. thing as too much poultry, too much gravy, nor too much mashed potatoes. Thank Those you. are all limitless in December. You can have my mashed potatoes, though. What? Eh. Have we talked about this before? Oh, I yeah. feel your disdain like, for mashed potatoes. When you put potatoes? gravy on them, you still don't like them? Yeah. I'm taking it or leave it. I, I there was I had a full blown moratorium on ma- mashed potatoes from moratorium the moment I turned eighteen. Sounds very official. Like when yeah. you moved out of the house or no, something. No, just once I turned eighteen, uh, and I just <laughs> That's I, the stand. I just told my mom like, okay, well, my first act as an adult is I <laughs> I reject your mashed potatoes. My word, <laughs> I'll eat the other stuff you made, but I don't want your mashed potatoes anymore. Not because they were bad, just because we ate lots and lots and lots of mashed potatoes, and uh, it wasn't my favorite thing, and I just got sick of them. So for like. I bet you 15 years I didn't touch mashed potatoes. Well, one of uh, one of our good friends is from Newfoundland, and he always jokes about my obsession and love of lobster. And he says, my mom used to send me lobster sandwiches to school every day. Oh, man. And, like, of course, it was peasant food back when he was a sure. kid, right? It, was, it wasn't anything to salivate over or celebrate. Oh, lobster sandwich again. I'm like, I want to trade childhoods with you, Monty. This is outstanding. <laughs> he says, yeah, you wouldn't have thought so after grade four. You would have been done with it. I get really? that. If you have it too much, like if mashed potatoes were on the menu that often, then I get it. We don't have them. We did smashed potatoes last night. What's like, that? Lazy mashed like potatoes. Like you get new potatoes and you cook them. <laughs> Lazy. And then you smash them onto like uh, cookie sheets or whatever you call it. And yeah. then I put them in the oven with some... Oh. Butter and salt and just crisp them right up. Oh, sounds good, actually. They're great. 
They were great. Yeah. You, you, you could all, I could see it being like almost like a nacho spread where you can just you, dump a whole bunch of stuff all I over it. I was so angry when I went looking for the sour cream and green onion because that was my exact thought. Like it, as I was pulling them out, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to jazz these bad boys up. Why didn't you ruin them with some pickles? <laughs> Even I would admit that doesn't go together. I, pickles I love, but they, don't, they aren't meant to be with everything. Not as versatile as you once thought. I don't think I ever said they were versatile. I said they were crunchy and delicious, and you are crazy for not liking them. You say so. <laughs> I have said so. I just did again. I feel like golfing today, Brett. Well? Yes, at 635, we are going to talk about the fact that you can golf. And it, yeah, it was funny yesterday, Loren said, because we were talking about the, the warm forecast, and Loren asked... Can you golf today? And I said, oh, no, no, it's, it's over. Inside, it's over. It's over. <laughs> and, then, and then hours later, I look online and see that Southside <laughs> is open and Shooters has opened their driving range again. So at 635, we're going to talk to Southside Golf Course, which and actually, Greg, we should ask them because I know this is an observation you often make that for a lot of people, it's just it. you can't. It's not about not wanting to play. It's about time. And Southside's actually a great course for that because it's a bit shorter. So it doesn't take as much time to play a full round of golf. So they're going to join us at 635 and uh, tell us about playing golf in December, which apparently happened 40 years ago. But really? I was playing with Star Wars toys when I was at that time. <laughs> 40 I, I wonder if their beer wow. cart includes like a couple gravy for the season. Oh. If you're golfing in December. <laughs> I'm guessing probably not a cart, but maybe they do have some sort of holiday themed gravy lunch special. I just, I can't believe what we're about to discuss. Outdoor golf in December. Yesterday, Loren, in regards to the warm forecast, he asked, is there golf today? And I just immediately dismissed it. No, no, no. Hey, c'est impossible. <laughs> I was wrong. Later that morning, Southside posted on their social media. Yep, we're open. And they are open again today. We say an early good morning to Shell Hector, assistant GM at Southside Golf Course. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I don't want to give an I told you so to Brett, but man, it was wonderful out yesterday. What a day. How many yes, people? You do. How many people did you get on the course? You know, we've had about 25 people come out and play. It was uh, you know, pretty last minute, so we didn't we weren't sure what the response would be, but it ended up being a great day and people had a good time out there. And how many today? Are you expecting? You know There's uh probably 10 tea times booked, and then we did post that you don't need a tea time, so we'll see we'll see how many people show up, but uh yeah, it's uh, definitely, we didn't have any tea times yesterday just because it was so last minute. And today we got at least 10. So it should be, should be a good time. December 7th. Like, is this, have you ever opened this late? You know what? I've only been at Southside for a couple of years, but um, a lot of people, even the people that came yesterday were just saying, I can't believe I had to come. I've never golfed in December. Um, I don't think the golf course has been open in December, but I could be wrong. So Shale, I, I made the corner and uh, on my bay yesterday, after picking up the kids from school, and we all looked at the same time, and I think we said at the same time, there's not a single pile of snow in our front yard. So tell us about the grass, and is it playable? How hard? Like, if I come out today, are my drives going 3.30, like with the <laughs> bounce? What's happening? You might have a couple career-long drives for sure. The ground is is a little hard. As far as the snow, it's just like your front yard, there's, there's very little snow. Um, we do have temporary greens, as I'm sure you've seen on the on the uh, Instagram post and our website. Um, so yeah, they're a little hard. You're not getting any uh, spin back or uh, 
you know, it's, it's not, uh, you got to have a little control and probably hit it uh, and let it run out a bit, but uh, the conditions are, are pretty great. Um, you're not going to get hurt. That's for sure. It's uh, the grass is nice. Obviously it's not as green as it would be uh, in, the, in the middle of the season, but it's uh, it's a good time. We do have, uh, um, you know, enough snow and, or sorry, enough grass. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a great, great conditions out there. How far ahead of days like yesterday or today do you begin preparing or even thinking about the possibility that you could be open? That's a great question. You know, uh, we did reopen in November as well. So originally we closed in October around the 23rd um, just because we uh, had some snow coming and uh, the, we- the weather was kind of getting a little colder. And then we kind of just keep an eye on the on the temperatures and if the overnight lows aren't too low and we get up to about five degrees Celsius and, you know, it's sustained for a couple of days. We weren't sure, um, you know, yesterday we were talking about, oh, should we wait till tomorrow? And then it was just so nice. You're out there. The wind wasn't too bad. Um, obviously, when it's when it's really windy, it gets a little little cold out there because there's not a lot of protection out uh, at the, on the golf course. But um, um, yeah. And then as far as how, how long it takes, we, we have the, the temp green set up already. So we just had to drive out on course and put the, the pins in and the flags are flying now and we're ready to go. How do you do that staffing wise? Like, are you calling folks up and they're like, for goodness sakes, we thought we were done six weeks ago and now you're bringing me back. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, we just, we just have uh, a few people that are, that are year round employees. So uh, myself and the general manager, um, our superintendent as well. And then along with ownership and um, we, we kind of make that decision and then it's kind of, it's just on us. We just, uh, the GM and I will be there uh, running things and, pretty it's pretty straightforward we don't have any uh you know our staff's mostly seasonal so they're all long gone back to school and and uh doing their winter winter jobs so yeah it's just a, a few of us a small little team and we uh we make it work shale i love golfing but for me the, just the time i am in my life i find it just 18 holes of golf is a huge commitment for me. And I know that your course is a little bit shorter. Talk about the popularity of finding a happy medium uh, in order for people like me to get out on the golf course more op- op- more often. Like I'm seeing 12-hole golf courses are becoming popular in some parts of the world. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, Southside's uh, an executive course, so we have 10 par threes seven par fours and one par five. So, you know, if you're a pretty consistent, regular golfer, it could take you, you know, and it's not busy um, under three hours. Uh, typically, you know, a normal 18 hole golf course is going to be four, four and a half, you know, obviously if it's a weekend and it's really busy or the stack T sheet, it could take even longer. Um, and as you mentioned about, uh, about 12, 12 holes or, I, I saw an idea about uh, having three sixes, so you could still do 18, have available for uh, for people who, who want to do 18. But, yeah, you could do 12 or six and, and kind of get in and out uh, a little quicker. Um, I don't know if it's people's attention spans or it's just not as, as you don't want to spend as much time out there. But, um, yeah, no, those, those are really innovative ideas. I could, I could see that happening. I could see uh, maybe a golf course popping up or changing their uh, their layout to try to, to try to suit that um, that desire, that demand for people that just want to play fewer holes, um, it's an interesting idea. We're we're kind of uh, well suited for the way things are going in golf, uh, just because we are an executive course, and it does take, you know, between you could do nine holes in an hour if you're if you're um, you know that skilled, and 
just based on the layout of the golf course. So, yeah. And before we let you go, Shale, if for those who are listening right now thinking, you know what, forget work, I'm going golfing. What time are you, or can golfers be on the course today? Yeah, so the first tee time will be at 11 o'clock. Um, you know, we'll probably open the front gate around 10. So if you get there early and uh, it's ready to rock, then we'll send you out there. And, yeah, we, we hope everyone comes out and plays golf in December. It's unbelievable. We're, we're excited to have uh, people out at the golf course. You know, it's been a, a over just about a month since we've had customers since yesterday. So, um, yeah, come on out. And you can play until, obviously, the sun sets quite early nowadays. But, yeah, play your heart out. Have a great time. We'd love to see you out there. All right, Shale. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Have fun today. Thanks for having me. Shale Hector is the assistant GM at Southside Golf Course, and it really is a great little course. I had I played there a few times towards the end of the season. It was in great shape. They've done a really good job the last few years, and it's a good time. So uh, enjoy that. And shooters, their driving range is open as well. They were open yesterday and today. So a couple of options if you want to swing the sticks one more time outdoors. I'm looking at a uh, pretty funny picture. I think it's a great picture of the mayor, Scott Gillingham, who's going to join us again this morning at 835 for a monthly visit, sitting on the floor alongside producer Tyson Ruicki and is uh, one of his uh, commu- one of his communications team, Colin. <laughs> They're on the floor because they got stuck in the elevator in this building yesterday for like 30 minutes. So. <laughs> Quite the length of time. And, and I was thinking when I saw that photo when Richard sent it and Colin posted it on uh, Instagram, I was laughing because of two things. One, if you are if you have a fear, that's no good. But then also at some point, either you think about food or you have to go to the washroom. And I was wondering that, you know, is Tyson sitting there and <laughs> like in a conversation, not that like, the mayor, you could talk to him about a number of things, but at some point you're going to be like, so... Milrate, hey. What's your favorite cheese? <laughs> I've been on a jalapeno Havarti kick lately. Like you, that's where I would go. I've been putting have, it in my soup a little bit. Have you, you been? Yeah. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> so what's you, we've, I think we've probably all got an elevator story. So tell us your elevator story for a chance to win tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. And, uh, well, Hovarty, Jalapeno, why don't we start with you, Portress? <laughs> well, I've seen those videos of people, like, getting caught in, like, long-term elevator situations, and there's a, eventually the conversation has to turn to, okay, which corner are we going to choose? We've been in here for 28 hours. <laughs> we have to choose a corner. Oh, I know what you mean. To pee. Yeah. Or, uh, oh my god! Oh come on! I didn't know that was going that. Can't way. you? Um, <laughs> you didn't know that was going to. No, no, I thought just in terms of I need my own space. Me I've too. Had enough time with oh, you. you pee. I don't want to talk to you anymore. This is my this, area. Like, I'll tell you this. Like, and I'm not a. I, I've talked about this several times. I'm not a big small talk person. Like, I just get very awkward, and I just have to constantly have to think about what I'm going to say next, and it just puts me in a bad headspace. And the idea of being stuck in an elevator like that is just like my absolute living nightmare. Like, oh God, I couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle it. You would be looking for the, and now I'm going to look in the elevator if this is a thing, but I'm thinking like escape movies and speed. John McClane, and you'd be like pushing, hard. Open, oh, yeah. yeah, opening up the top the and Cam would be shimmying, sure. shimmying up the, like the wires on the outside just to escape. 
the small talk? Yeah, yeah, that's almost better. I did not think about the litter box situation. Yeah, this is the things you have to start to figure out. I knew exactly where he was going. Me too. Me too. And it actually, yesterday, Cam and I were coming up the elevator and and the computer screens went dark and there was like an audible noise, like a... And I thought... Uh oh, is Cam's nightmare about to happen? <laughs> we, we actually laughed about it. The doors opened up on the 34 year old. I was like, that one's close. <laughs> and we jumped off as quickly as possible. Uh, Sarah, what about you? Yes. Um, so, as you know, our elevators have the nice touchless feature on all the buttons. So, if you lean up against them, you'll light them all up. And I've done that a few times with people in the elevator with me. I'm so sorry. So now I usually just go, I just dart right to the back. I'm like, I can't take the chance because I've lit these up. Like the Christmas tree, like an elf. That scene where he purposely touches all of them. I, this was not intentional. You just lean up a little <laughs> tiny bit and you're stopping on all 30 floors. Shabbos elevator. <laughs> yeah. It happens all the time, Sarah. It yes, does. I get it. Inevitably, once a week, someone will lean a little too mm-hmm. close because they they haven't done it yet, and they're like, "Oh, sorry." And I said, "It's okay. It it's happens. the fancy touchless buttons. <laughs> it happens to us all." Uh, Forty. So my buddy, uh, he left his bike at my apartment one day, and so the next day he comes and picks it up, and he's taking the elevator up, and it stops the door doesn't open like it's on my floor the door doesn't open he's in there with my neighbor and my neighbor is going like i don't do well in elevators like i just she's starting to freak out and i'm on the other side of the elevator i'm like hey like i can hear you like i was like press the bell button well all the bell button does just rings a bell it doesn't do anything and this was before they fixed our elevators where there was no talk button so i had to take the other elevator down go get the phone number for the maintenance guy and finally he came up, and all he did was just bang on the door, and it opened. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? It was that easy? Like, I you just had to bang on the door. Open sesame. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like my, my old VCR. Yeah, my, just my, get a whack. <laughs> Funzy. My, my buddy goes and grabs his bike, and uh, he's heading towards the elevator, and I was like, all right, well, have a good day. He's like, I'm not taking that thing down. He carried his bike down seven flights of stairs <laughs> just so he wouldn't have to go in the elevator. Smart man. Oh, that's great. Just give it a whack. Uh, Mackling. Uh, 630 feet is the uh, distance from the ground to the top of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. And you look at the I construct. Like you pause like we were all going to be like naturally. Gateway Arch in, in, in St. Louis. Did you know you can actually sure go? It's not the Arc de Triomphe in. Uh... It, it is not. Uh, you can actually go to the top of that. When you look at the shape of it, it's like, how do you put an elevator up to the top of an arch shape? Object. Well, you can. And a buddy of mine that I did this with, my buddy John in BC, we're talking about our baseball trip to St. Louis a few weeks ago. He goes, Mackling, I still get anxiety about that capsule that we went in to go up to the arch. (laughs) So it's spherical. It's spherical. And so you sit on these. Basically, they look like toilet lids. For chairs. Okay. <laughs> and, and like it's built in the 60s, right? So it was kind of primitive. And they have a internal, it's called a, a mercury leveling device. So you're actually going up, tick, 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 up 
in this arch-shaped object and it's leveling you out every, you know, several inches. It's kind of unnerving. There's no windows. It's very, you just, you feel like you're uh, like really on a path to hell mm-hmm. till you get to the top. And then <laughs> the windows are super small. I want to do this. Real and you're bad. actually laying on the, like you look out the window. <laughs> it's slowed down what? about 36 degrees. And that's how you look out the window. You're kind of laying on the carpet to no look good. out the window. But it's still one of the coolest things I've ever done. I've never even, I didn't know this was a thing. That's neat. All so, right. There you go. That's my favorite elevator in the world. Alec Taylor says, one time I was testing the elevators when I worked in building maintenance, and I got stuck in the elevator with the maintenance tech for 30 minutes. <laughs> Dude, this is exactly why you're here. Fix yeah. this. <laughs> So I enjoyed the irony of that. Jared, this is actually, I, I, I can feel the fear he must have felt. Jared says when I was like four or five, went in an elevator at my sister's dance recital, except I didn't press a floor button, so it just closed. I had no idea what was going on. Oh boy. I was terrified. I didn't know how to operate the machine thing. I, no one was using the elevator because it was during the dance show, so I was stuck in there for almost 30 minutes. Uh, what would you terrifying if when you were a kid? I guess you just get your cell phone out. Oh, uh, oh at wait. Four? <laughs> yeah? At four years old? <laughs> sure. No. Oh, yeah. I was curious if anyone knows out there, when Cam was talking about hating awkward elevator conversations, I meant to ask him, but I also would like to know whether the south elevator at the legislator still has the man who operates it. I was just going to ask. If because it, you'd get in the elevator and every single time there's someone there and he must make right? all sorts of small talk in the world. Oh. There's only three floors, like the basement, middle, second, third. Right. So I guess that's four. You can go up and down. But his job was to close the door the old school yeah. way. And I suppose at one time there was a crank or something. Oh, fun. And now he just hits the button. I just don't know if that job exists or if that's still the case. Yeah, Eaton's in the Bay, they had the elevator operators. I was wondering if anybody remembered that. It is Mackling McGarry McNabb. It's Thursday. That means it's 735. Small town salute. We're going to talk Christmas trees. We're going to head to a Christmas tree farm in Tyndall. But right now on the subject of holidays and Christmas and parties, we know there are some of you who aren't quite in the holiday spirit. It's warm. There's no snow on the ground. Hey, there's going to be people golfing at Southside later this morning. Golfing in December. But the season, Brett, is nigh. Yes. Or it's here. Because I mean, nigh means nearly Anyway, it's here. The holidays are here. And with it, there's gatherings with friends. I think your calendar's already filling up, Brett. Yep. Uh, Greg, you're, you, I know you're busy already with parties, et cetera. So mm-hmm. a few years ago, I think it's safe to say holiday parties all, for offices, at least all but stopped due to COVID. But they're back. And this weekend, things really kick off. Drew Fisher is the president and CEO of the RBC Convention Center. Good morning, Drew. Good morning. Is this the kickoff weekend for office parties, or have they been happening for a few weeks now? Well, they've been happening for a number of weeks already, but uh, this is absolutely one of the peak weekends that we have upcoming. But before we get into it, I must say, it is. I, I wondered about this interview as I'm thinking, we're talking to the golf guy first, and then talking about holiday parties. They don't seem to coincide. It, it, it just, it's not something usual for me that I'm talking after the golf guy. It's festive, though. It's all festive. It's with a spirit of celebration, Drew. Absolutely. Drew, uh, we were talking food prices and uh, how much money we spend on food. And, of course, economic yeah. times being what they are, not only for individuals but businesses. 
Times are tight for some some organizations. Are there those conversations heading into this year's planning? Like, uh, we love coming here. This is something we love to do. It's an annual rite of passage. But can we scale things back a little bit? Well, I wouldn't say that has scaled them back. Obviously, uh, food prices have gone up. And uh, most of our holiday parties are return holiday parties. And we have long-term relationships with these organizations and we work very closely to come up with, uh, you know, an offering that obviously is exciting for all of their attendees and, and then obviously fits within budgetary restrictions. But, um, yeah, I mean, those conversations happen, but uh, we definitely are seeing a lot of holiday parties this year. Curious to know what's trendy at a holiday office party right now. Like, what are some of the, the things that different offices or corporations are asking for? Absolutely. I mean, we still do have a lot of those traditional holiday parties where you have your dinner and your dance, but we have noticed that some of the parties are becoming a little less formal. So we're having some more stand-up receptions and food stations, and we're also seeing more of our clients adding games and recreation, such as pool tables and casino uh, casino tables. And on top of that, we also have a lot of uh, children's holiday parties where we're seeing, you know, multiple bouncy castles and amusement rides. And we recently had one that had a couple of transport trucks up on our third floor, which we're very fortunate to be able to accommodate up there. So it's, it's it, you know, it is evolving, but it op- absolutely is still very fun and exciting and enjoyable for, for those coming in to the convention center for holiday season parties. I immediately thought of like a rousing game of charades with 500 of your coworkers. I don't know why that's where my head went for games. I was thinking cornhole. Uh, <laughs> things get competitive, <laughs> we though. We did that over the police and fire game, so we could probably redo that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could you could go from a, a jumpy castle to playing charades and then a little bit of cornhole. Yeah, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's an offering out there that somebody's looking for. I can sign up to be your side games girl at the at these parties, Drew. Are you back to pre-pandemic levels? Like, where are things at in terms of being sold out December or having that the kind of numbers that you were used to five years ago? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are absolutely at pre-pandemic levels. I mean, 2023 as a whole has been just an absolutely incredible year from beginning to end. I mean, we started and I'm going to go on a bit here. I'm sorry, but it started in January with the Western Retail Lumber Association. We had over 1,300 delegates. Then we had Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada in March with 1,000 delegates. Skills Canada with 5,000 people a day. National Volleyball with 5,000 participants in May. Six back-to-back conventions in June. Summer, as we all know, we had the World Police and Fire Games. September, we're into our busy conference and galaxies and we also just had world financial group in with 5,000 attendees and obviously comic-con everyone loves comic-con we had over 25,000 attendees to that and now we're into the holiday season and and we're we'll probably cater to about 17,000 people over the holiday season this year which is uh, actually a little bit up over 2019 so it's it's real exciting. I mean, when I talk about the conventions and the events coming into the city and the economic impact that that creates and filling hotels and people coming into airports and restaurants, I mean, that's what we get up in the morning and get excited about at the convention center is making sure that we're, you know, we're driving economic impact in our city. Uh, Drew, uh, you mentioned hotels and, and there's a, a building site just waiting to be, you know, enacted <laughs> upon just uh, north of the convention center. How critical is it that that hotel uh, get built at, as part of the True North Square redevelopment? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's key. And it obviously will happen. And Northland properties are, are, are obviously uh, driven to make that happen. 
having that built that it, it allows us to have the opportunity to cater to larger event business. Uh, these large events, large conventions that are coming into the city want to have hotels that are in close proximity to the convention center. So it is, uh, it is, uh, we do eagerly look forward to the uh, building of that property, but we're also excited about different things like the, you know, the, the cross street, the old charter house is, uh, being redeveloped at Hampton by Hilton and it's opening up in mid-March and uh, 325 uh, Broadway as well is going to be uh, be a a Hyatt property that's being redeveloped. So it is happening. Uh, We're excited and but the Sutton Place is another piece to the puzzle that will allow us to really really bring more large events into our city. Drew Fisher, President and CEO of RBC Convention Centre. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you for having me. And you can feel free to weigh in with your feedback on holiday parties. I know just mentioning the switching from the formal sit-down kind of dinner thing to a more casual stand-up party. When we uh, made that switch in this company, it was the best best yeah. decision they could have made. Because we the first few I went to it was like, okay, we have the nice dinner and whatever. But once we went to a more casual thing, which we did at Bailey's for several years, it was way more fun. Get to roam, mingle, chat, chitty chat. Yeah. Yeah, because your original or your first instinct is to sit with people that you know, mm-hmm. people that you see every single day. Yeah. With the uh, cocktail party sort of set up, it was an opportunity to meet more people. I, I miss that. Time for our small town salute with a question. If you put up a Christmas tree, is it already up and decorated? Yeah, and this weekend feels like it might be the last one to take, you know, to get your tree up in time to take advantage of the full season. That's just me. That's my thought. Although I suppose there are some people. You can leave it up till the end of January. I've done it into mid-January. Make it extended. Purposefully? Somewhat, eh, right? And I know there are still some people who maybe don't put up their Christmas tree till Christmas Eve. That's part of their tradition. Either way, despite the golf-worthy temperatures, the time for the tree is nigh. Word of the day for December 7th, nigh. Where do our natural or real trees come from? Many come from Christmas tree farms, of course. And so this morning we head north and a bit east of the city to Country Pines Christmas Tree Farm near Tyndall. Let's say good morning to Mike Kisilowski. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, uh, CGOB listeners. And uh, how are you guys doing today? We are excellent. And I love talking trees. I just got mine up a few days ago. But I, I was wondering, you know, we go out, we buy one, and I don't think I, many put much thought into what goes in to producing the Christmas tree. So how long does it take to grow the average tree? Well, you know, it's going to take you uh, to take us about 10 years to uh, grow a tree up to about uh, eight eight to ten feet and, uh, and and we look after them and we help the environment by uh, by growing them and how many trees are you growing at a time well you know i've uh, let's see i've got uh, 1200 trees per acre i got about uh, nine to ten acres i got about ten thousand trees growing up in the in the in the farm right now and i also just planted out um, uh, 10,000 uh, potted uh, seedlings, which I propagate out of the, at the farm. And, uh, of course, uh, we endorse child labor at our farm because I can't do all that by myself. <laughs> so who helps out, Mike? <laughs> got the got grandkids or something coming in to plant or what? 
<laughs> well, you know, if you do a 10,000 pot, potted seedlings, you know, my back, I have to go see the chiropractor again. <laughs> so how, how many trees do you sell in a year? Well, you know, I, I do sell around uh, 200 uh, uh, trees to, for Christmas. Um, but uh, the only thing is, is uh, they, if you come to my farm, you're, you're going to be turned away because I'm sold out. And um, it, last year, it took me um, uh, two days to sell out. Uh, this year, it took a little longer because the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, there wasn't hardly any snow and nobody was really in the mood. So it took three days to sell out. Oh, boy. You're going to have to uh, really figure out a different marketing strategy for next year <laughs> if it's taking you 50% longer to sell out, Mike. <laughs> we, you and I were speaking yesterday, and you told me that the Christmas tree farm, one of our bosses said that, uh, you know, this is one of her dreams is to is to have a have a Christmas tree farm, even though she knows nothing about soil, trees, or or farming, or any sort of uh, production like that. But you were telling me that maybe there's some room for some more tree farms, because once upon a time there were 14 in our province. How many are there now? Well, there was 14 in our area, but I'm not sure about the province. But oh, just your area. Only, wow. And, and now there's only four, and uh, that's including Steinbach. And wow, I tell you, the uh, the pressure on me because I, I I'm right in the middle of the Twin Cities, which is Garson and Tyndall. Uh, we uh, we've got uh, Bozier and uh, Selkirk and Winnipeg all. Uh, it, there's a lineup uh, every time I open up the I can't even open up the door long enough because the the lineup is all the way down to the highway. So if the demand's like that, it makes sense that we'd see price increases year over year. I was commenting earlier that I the tree I paid for this year, I think, was 100 bucks, But that's because I bought it, like, right in town and I could pick it right up and I didn't have to do anything special to go find it, Mike. But uh, is that about the going rate or what's what have you seen in well, terms of what you've sold them for this year versus even just a few years ago? Well, you know, back in the day, uh, I used to sell my trees for eighteen dollars, and uh, and I had a tough time trying to sell them because I was new to the business, and nobody really wanted to come out and uh, and buy from me because nobody knew me. So now I'm I've, now I'm renowned for uh, trees and uh, great looking trees, and uh, now they're uh, they're up around eighty dollars uh, is what we cut out in the field. And any any tree out there is for sale. So just uh, if you bring money, I'll take it. <laughs> and there, you sell everything from, I think it's balsam, you got spots, Scots pine, the white spruce. What's the most popular one? Well, you know, I can't really grow a, a, a balsam fir. Uh, for some reason, it just doesn't like uh, like my area. Okay. But uh, the, the Scots pine is, uh, is great. That's how I started off with all Scots pine. And now I'm uh, migrated into uh, white spruce. And I also use, it, uh, use the white spruce as a landscape tree and shelter belt trees. So I, I do spade them out, and uh, uh, like I say, it's it's a year-round uh, kind of a year-round business. Mike, Mike, you have no idea the joy you have brought to this studio. <laughs> we use the word nigh; it's sort of our word of the day. But shelter belt is one of the things that Loren has educated not only Brett and I, but our listeners about over the years. And so the fact that you would bring up shelter belt completely without any prompting, we are celebrating this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I uh, like there's a lot of farmers that come out over and they're trying to, uh, you know, to, to um, you know, switch, you know, give a little bit of protection for their animals and stuff like that. Because the cattle can't just sit out in the middle of nowhere and without uh, hiding behind a, 
a shelter belt. And for snow blowing and for erosion. And has Manitoba Highways called and said they'd like some trees for the number one this year, Mike? This is my most important question. Well, you could tell on the highways I'd hardly got any trees left after this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Mike, I'm curious to know, like, so you say it takes eight to ten years to grow a tree. So is there any part of you... I mean, I know it's your it's your your business, it's what you do. But is there any part of you that gets sad when you chop this tree down, knowing that it's basically got it's only got a few weeks left? Yeah, no, uh, you know what 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 it is is uh, if, if we take a tree out in the uh, uh, for Christmas, uh, a new one is planted next year, uh, and there's uh, the, the space is always taken uh, taken up by a new seedling, and so it takes another ten years, and then before you know it, bang, there it is, another tree. So no, that it sounds great. No tears shed, just uh, no trees, shed. trees chopped and uh, displayed and decorated. And, and then, uh, as you say, they become part of the environment. Last one for you. I'm curious about the soil. Well, is there a particular soil that, that's really good at growing trees? And, and in your part of the province, what type of soil would that be? You know why we do have a a, a, a loam. The, the 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 farm I'm on is a really excellent excellent uh, place to grow trees. <clears throat> we have a, about about eight inches of loam, uh, which is uh, um, uh, which is excellent soil, and underneath there is all sand. I, I can't believe it. It's that's the Tiddlestone Ridge. I think we're on there. That's that's really helping me out. And uh, like I say, they they grow really well out here. It's uh, you know it's it is good. You know I'm I'm happy with the area I've got. And uh, boy, back in the day, I I spent a lot of money on that farm. I I think I uh, for the ten acres I spent uh, I, I don't know about uh, fifteen hundred dollars for that piece of chunk of land. Mike Kisilowski joining us from Country Pines Christmas Tree Farm near Tyndall. Thank you very much for your time this morning. We've really enjoyed this. Oh, okay, you guys, and don't work too hard, okay? Because, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're trying to, uh, to slow down a little bit for Christmas, okay? Great advice, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> okay, yeah. Merry Christmas, you guys. Same to you. He was a joy. And I now know where I'm getting my Christmas tree next. And, Greg, your question on soil yeah. had me thinking of Dwight Schrute as always it comes back to the office. <laughs> Schrute Farms. It's very Schrute easy farms. to find. If the soil starts to get acidic, you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, can you believe Mike was hesitant to join us no, this morning? Great. I was speaking to him yesterday. Goes, I don't know, Greg. I'm not what really good at this public speaking stuff. I'm a little nervous. I, th- I think he was pulling my leg the entire time. <laughs> what a joy to meet Mike. Yeah, that was terrific. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Typically, the first Thursday of every month is when we invite our next guest into studio. Isn't that right, Greg? Yeah, it's only December 7th, and already he's been down to 201 Portage Avenue twice in the month. In fact, Mayor Scott Gillingham was just here less than 24 hours ago as there were questions around budget preparations in these tough economic times. And on his way to the interview yesterday afternoon, the mayor had a bit of adventure, shall we say, stuck in the elevator for about 30 minutes. So we welcome back to CJOB Mayor Scott Gillingham. I was wondering if you took the stairs this morning instead. (laughs) 
I did not. In fact, I ended up in the very same elevator. There's the bank of elevators here, as you know, but I ended <laughs> up in the same them. one. That's right. And so I took it without uh, without any incident today. So thanks again to the maintenance repair folks who came and fixed the elevator. We're all good. It's inspired a whole round of conversations this morning for our ticket giveaway at 9.15. So you still have your chance to send in your elevator stories. It doesn't have to be getting stuck. It could be the awkward small talk in the elevator that you've had or the weird conversations. Are you a small talker? Like, can you do the elevator... I, I'm a politician. I can do the elevator. Small talker. Absolutely. <laughs> if the mayor can't, we are in We're big trouble, trouble as a city. That's, let me put it that way. <laughs> I love the small talk. But, you know, in terms of big talk, we mentioned that you were here to talk about the budgetary challenges because it was a warning, essentially, that there's going to be some serious talks ahead, given that property taxes don't cover a lot of expenditures of the city. You're going to try to hold those. You're going to hold those at 3.5 percent. But labor costs are up. Costs for a whole host of other things are up. And so it was referenced that, you know, we'll have to make some choices. Is there anything that's on your to-do list that you're now crossing off that list? Uh, not, at, not at this point, but really the message yesterday is, is, is about uh, really managing expectations and, and trying to be uh, upfront and honest with the people of Winnipeg that we do have significant pressures on our budget. And I know that, you know, almost every year, uh, you know, the city hall says we have pressures on our budget and the province says they have pressures on their budget and the Fed, federal government will as well. But, you know, the city's facing the same inflationary pressures that every household is facing as well. You know, listening to your newscast at eight o'clock this morning, where you're talking about the rise in food prices that families are facing. Uh, the, 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 just the cost of living is going up. Well, all of those costs hit the city of Winnipeg as well. You, you take a look at uh, our capital budget. Uh, we talked last year, it was in the news a lot, about the North End Treatment Plant and the work we're doing on that project. That project uh, increased by $482 million. And that's not cost overruns. That's just inflationary costs on labour, on materials, and the like. And so uh, those are the challenges that we're facing as a city. So how does that impact... Capital projects, great place to look. One of the major things that you ran on was the extension of Chief Pegwas Trail, the widening of Keniston. If the if the sewer treatment plant is facing basically a doubling in the cost there, how closely you're going to have to look at those projects with potentially, in my mind, some change in approach to when and how. Well, the, what I what I committed to in the campaign is is that very thing, Greg, is to get an ep- update on the cost estimates of those two projects, the Chief Pegwas Trail Extension and the Keniston Route 90 projects, because uh, there's a series of projects within that. And so that's where we're at right now. We have our staff looking into getting a cost estimate update, and also I committed to doing a business case, asking for a business case analysis on both of those projects. When we get that information, which should come in the coming months, uh, really, those two projects would would need provincial and federal partnership in funding as well. It wouldn't just be the city of Winnipeg bearing the cost of loan of those two projects. They're important projects. They would require funding from all three levels of government. But the first thing we need to do is get the cost estimate updates, and those are coming. Mayor Scott Gillingham is our guest. Our monthly visit with the mayor. Police board meeting tomorrow. Ahead of it, the chief shared some data on what they're seeing so far this year, including the fact the number of critical emergency situations with risk of serious bodily harm or loss of life went up by 26% in 2021, 18% in 2022. The chief says that adds to the workload and then creates delays for other types of calls to 911. So do we need to change our expectations on how quickly an officer or vehicle can get to us when we need help? Well, there's, there's, I've said it before, there's too much violent crime in the city of Winnipeg. 
the crime severity of index in, in the city is, is usually, unfortunately, you know, tops every other city uh, in this country. And that, that bothers me. That's concerning to me. What, what that means is when, when our police are, as the chief said, getting, responding to those calls for service, then there's other calls that they can't get to as quickly. One of the things that we started in the, my last term of office under the uh, former mayor, and I give uh, mayor, you know, um, Brian Bowman credit for this, is looking at which of the calls for service can, you know, can some other entity respond to? If it's a mental health call, um, you know, do we need two officers with badges and guns showing up to that call? So we've established, uh, in partnership with the province of Manitoba, something called ARC. It's the Alternative Response to Citizens in Crisis, where we have a mental health worker and an officer responding to those calls. Uh, we, we need to look to, uh, for ways to do more of that so we can get the right response to that call for service. It might not always be police. And if we can get other responses to calls for service that are not policing calls, we can free up officers to do more police work. I'm always big on timelines, and I know it's not always easy to answer, but when it comes to that establishment of that program, I understand that there's going to be a moment where police will have to go to, say, that Langside shooting. There you have five people, four of them uh, fatally injured. The, the fifth was critical condition. I get that's going to draw a huge amount of resources. But I also feel like if, I, if I'm paying taxes in the city and say my home is being robbed or something's just happened, I still want the police to show up in a timely manner. And so how long should I be willing to wait as, if I'm a taxpayer in this city for that program to make a difference so that we can improve the, the response to service for police? Well, I, I don't know how long one should be willing to wait because we, we, we have, you know, the police do report on the statistics of the impact of the ARC program as one example. And it's had a positive impact. Now, the, I know our Winnipeg Police Service is willing to expand that and add more officers to that work. But the problem right now is the challenges that uh, Winnipeg Regional Health Authority have, and they've been good partners, but some of the challenges they have in recruiting and retaining uh, and, and training individuals to work the other side, whether you know, it's the mental health workers. And so it's, it's a bit of a, a labor issue to, that I've been – it's explained to me that it's been a bit of a labor issue at this point. Um, but one of the other things that has been really positive over the last year is that we have reestablished with the city and the province the, an arrest warrant unit that's going after individuals who are breaching court orders. And that's a work, that's a partnership between Winnipeg Police Service and the RCMP. And over the last several months, they have arrested, uh, I think it's over 100 now, individuals who are out on, you know, out in the community, breaching their court orders, uh, targeting those who have been, you know, violent offenders and trying to get those individuals uh, off our streets to make our community safer. Some of that preemptive policing that maybe has been suffering in this in this age of more violent crime in Winnipeg. So that, that's positive. Uh, let's talk a little bit about housing. We know the housing uh, shortage and the housing crisis across the country capturing a lot of headlines. One of the places that this city's hoping to see some housing is on the rail side at the Forks. And so in the media, at least, and I know in the development community and some other friends, we've been waiting like, any day now, we're thinking we're going to hear an announcement on, on what's going to happen there. Have you got any inside information that you could share with us as to when that rail side to residential development may actually be getting underway? Well, the work has actually begun. If anyone who drives, you know, or walk through or drive through or go into the, the Forks property right now, will see that there is activity uh, on that property where they're putting, starting the sewer and water servicing is, is going in. And so, uh, you know, there's uh, construction trailers and, and, and equipment and trucks and whatnot on the site already that is putting in um, the, the water sewer. And, you know, the rail side project is, is actually one of several 
good projects happening in our downtown right now. I just had the opportunity to be just kind of kitty corner from where we're sitting today in, in not too far away down 300 Main and saw was, was up in that new building and residents are moving into that property. On Broadway, there is a conversion happening of Old Canada Revenue Agency building into a hotel. The new Wawanisa building uh, near True North Square is, is about to uh, begin to be, be occupied. Um, not too far from where we are today in the East Exchange, there's more residential property that has, has just opened up. So there's a lot of good investment happening in the downtown. Manitoba Métis Federation continues to invest with, with the purchase of, of 200 Main Street and they're moving um, uh, workers in there. So there's a lot of activity actually that's happening in our downtown right now. And, um, and of course, I'll finally I'll say that we're waiting for the response from, from True North. We just we're looking to provide them an extension of up to th- uh, six months to look at the uh, Portage Place project. Are you concerned about that request for an extension? Because sometimes that's, that can be very bad news. Your perception? No, I'm not concerned about that. Um, I think it's been clear that True North has been doing extensive consultation on that project. Uh, they've been speaking also to the Southern Chiefs organization about you know how that pr- the projects you, you know might um, complement one another because the Bay Building is going to be transformed by the Southern Chiefs. So I'm not I'm not concerned about that extension. I think it just means more due diligence is being done. On the good news front, at 7 o'clock, we had on the convention centre talking about holiday parties. They've had, by all accounts, Greg, I think it was a banner year for them. He mentioned thousands, tens of thousands of people coming into Winnipeg for conventions. Some of that's local, some of that's people coming to Winnipeg to see here. So the most important question I have for you, does City Hall do an office party? Uh, we don't do a, a large office party with all, with all the councillors. Like no uh, drinks in the council chambers? Like I can't come no, down no to the floor? No, no drinks in the council chambers. Use no. the mics. Start yeah. shout, shout. Okay, just these are the things I wanted to know. You do do a get-together. We do. Uh, my office staff does a get-together. Uh, we haven't done a get-together. We, we've done, you know, some, some uh, last council meeting. It went late. And so we broke as a council and had some pizza and then went back to work, you know, after after dinner. But Pizza party. Works for me. Mayor Scott Gillingham, thank you for the time as always, sir. Thank you all. It is. Excuse me, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I'm just at... The Fairmont, Winnipeg, they do this thing called the Kochak every Thursday, and they uh, from eleven thirty until one, and they brought they bring us over some samples. So this week it's the ugly Christmas sweater. It's uh, like a like a turkey sandwich, and the bread is stuffing. So I've been and inhaling it in between in commercials. It? Yes. It's so funny. Just while Greg was doing the weather, they might have heard in the background, I was opening and closing the container. <laughs> and I thought, don't eat because you're about to go back on air. Your mouth will be full. Yep. And then you opened with a cough. So I was like, why, why the heck wasn't I eating I had last a gr- three minutes? It's like I had a gravy bubble <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. What, what, let, 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 uh, it looks really good. It's yummy. I gave mine to Jeff Forche. So they do that every Thursday, 1130 to 1, the coat check at the Fairmont. Thanks to them for bringing that tasty treat. We're asking you, though, right now for a chance to win tickets for the great Outdoors Comedy Festival featuring the likes of Bill Burr and Nate Pagassi and Jerry D. About a time you just like an elevator story. And uh, Jacob is saying, uh, I'm just saying, because the whole thing that inspired this discussion today is the fact that the mayor, when he came here yesterday, he was on with us this morning, but when he came yesterday to see Rich and Julie on the news, he got stuck in the elevator for half an hour. So <laughs> Jacob says, I'm just saying, when Cheryl Lashick's name was on the elevators, no mayors got stuck on elevators. 
In Cheryl We Trust, Jacob says, if you don't get that reference, that's because her name became famous over the past couple of years as basically the only person who could sign off on the elevator inspection or safety permit or whatever you call it. There's a new name now. I can't even remember who it Yeah, was. but it's all typed up and it's not the same as that know. Cheryl signature, right? Yeah, yeah. Not as nice as my Uncle Al's signature either back in the eighties. So Oh, how long was that in the elevators? Uh my uncle was about eight years, I think. Oh it's quite a quite a quite a long time actually. A good run. That's a good run. Um this listener pointing to uh, a photography field trip downtown, Mr. Mackling. Uh, this one that starts in grade 12. That's right. About 10 of us took an elevator to a parkade roof to try and get some pictures. On the way down, the elevator broke down. We all got stuck for about an hour. The fire department ended up coming and letting us out. The building manager was also there, started yelling and screaming at us, saying, we were all banned from the building, and we were never, ever allowed to come back. Surprisingly, our teacher wasn't that concerned, considering none of us could get a hold of her because we didn't have huh. cell phone reception. So I asked, why did the building manager yell at you? And they say, well, I'm not sure uh, if she had to pay for the service or she thought we were jumping around like silly teenagers mm. or whatever. Just assuming it's the kid's fault. Of course. And But that kind of leads into... This story here from Walter R., a.k.a. Captain Breadman. Captain Breadman. <laughs> Sometimes we put, we you know, we assign nicknames or the listeners sign off as, as a nickname. I can't remember this, the etymology of Captain he Breadman's name. He delivers bread. Yeah, is that I, it? I think, well, read the story. Okay. Uh, uh, well, oh, fair enough. In my teens, I'd be in an elevator with my sisters and their kids. I thought it'd be funny if I would jump up and down to shake the elevator, and the little kids would be screaming, terrified. Years later, my brother-in-laws would be angry with me because they would have to walk up the stairs to avoid the elevator because of me. This was at Fort Gary Place, 22nd floor of Fort Gary Place behind the hotel. To this day, those kids are in their 30s and refuse to use the elevator. I'm guessing I'm not going to win the Uncle of the Year Award. Mm-hmm. On a lighter note, I was delivering bread, oh, there we go, to the Fairmont using the freight elevator, and who was in there with me? couple of people, including Brad Pitt. Oh, my. When he was shooting that movie in Winnipeg, the assassination of uh, Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Right. <laughs> I wonder if he offered Brad some bread. That's a real bread breaker. Let's chat oh, over. Oh, Captain Bradman. Yeah, got some Winnipeg <laughs> rye here for you. But Greg Bronwyn is our winner. Good morning. It was 1976, and I was with three other Canadian ladies visiting Vienna. This is Austria, yes? Yeah. We had gone on a cheap train... <laughs> While our husbands were serving with the RCAF, imagine our surprise when met to be told we were to be housed in the Hotel International downtown Vienna instead of the more reasonable hotel that we were prepared for. We always took one good long dress when we went on our getaways and we were happy, so happy we did. Going down to dinner on our first night, we took the elevator to the main floor and when we opened the door, who should be standing in front of us but the handsome Omar Sharif. Cool. He said, good evening, ladies. And we were (laughs) starstruck, of course. He was charming and told us that he was in town filming the Tamarind Seed with the wonderful Julie Andrews. We were fortunate to to be still based in Solingen. No idea. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. And met up again some 18 months later to watch the movie on the base. So, Bronwyn, you are our winner. Omar Sharif. Oh, my goodness. Bronwyn wins tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival at Cinnaboyne Park, July 19 to 21st, 2024.
Our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. At 7 o'clock, we talk to Drew Fisher, president and CEO of RBC Convention Center, about how holiday parties are returning in a big way there. So we're asking you, does your workplace host a holiday party? The early results, because we just published this a little while ago, 50% say, no, we've never had one. Oh. 25% say, no, but we used to. 19% say, yes, a big one. And 6% say, yes, a small one. Hmm. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. And I'll leave it to you to define what, you know, party big one, what a big one is. Or Like, I know some people who work in a different mm-hmm. uh, radio company in this city, they, they have like one giant centralized party in Toronto for like the whole company. And you so get, they get flown, flown out oh, nice. to Toronto. Excuse me now. When we used to be owned by <laughs> Shaw, because Shaw is such a big company, that party, which was at the convention center, would be thousands of people. It would be in that big, huge space where they did the Grey Cup celebration in 2019. Like, it was just crazy. Yeah. I'm wondering if, so there's a couple of things. Like, the pandemic hit. People had to cancel parties. And so a lot of things you used to do just haven't come back because people got used to that. There's financial reasons that people might say, you know, we need to scale that back. I think there's uh, office ethics or morality reasons why you might have scaled things back. Like I had jokingly asked the mayor if you had a if they had a holiday party when he joined us at 835. And he said, you know, they have some smaller office get togethers, but really they don't do a party because, of course, that's taxpayer dollars. But more than that, I think there's probably everyone can probably put up their hand if you're of a certain age where an office party, you're like, uh oh. That over there shouldn't be happening at an office party. <laughs> and then next year, the, the boss is like, guess what we're not doing this year? Like, right. I, I wonder, you know, they could be like a legal quagmire nightmare. Then you also have to do the whole, like, is there alcohol? If there's alcohol, you have to provide taxi tits. You have to, you know, how are you getting people safely home? Well, I'm old enough that I've seen the progression over the years of, you know, open bar, drink as much as you want, have a great time. And you're on your own to get yourself home. Sure. And also seen the introduction of the taxi chits. And then also there's a lot of places now where you might get one or two drink tickets and a a taxi chit or maybe not one at all. And so, yes. And of course, poor office behavior behavior, and interpersonal relationships that are otherwise not encouraged within the workplace uh, often do start at. Things like Christmas parties. So, yeah, um, that's probably about as much as I want to say about that. Yeah. 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 I can admit I've had a couple of Christmas parties end in a pretty good way for me in that sense. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've seen, I, I will, I'll say this. So, like, for several years, we had our party at Bailey's and that stopped during the pandemic. And, and uh, hopefully, we're maybe next year or the year after, we'll be able to get back to something like that where we would just, we would rent out the lounge and there'd be trays of hors d'oeuvres going around, but nothing fancy, just very casual. Uh, but, and it was great. It was super fun. And I don't, th- honestly, I've never seen anything get out of control. No. I think, though, like, there are people having fun. Like one of our young reporters who has since moved on to a different company. I rem- I can still see him. <laughs> he had his shirt off and he was swinging it around and, you know, yeah, but yeah. Good fun. Like I love fun. you, Brett. Yes. I love you, Greg. Yeah. But he was, he was fine. We ended up fun. at the Palomino Club afterwards that year. That was about as late as I'd stayed out in a long time. Did you go to the Pal after that? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, 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 there was a group that were not from Winnipeg. And so, well, I'm the tour guide. 
I'm Mr. Winnipeg. You know, you guys, have you guys ever been to the Pal? No, never. let's go. Oh, because it's right across yeah. the street. Yes. I was thinking no, not yes. Polo. No, not Polo Park. Yeah. And then that would have been even maybe more fun. But, oh, yeah, you have to, you have to, and everybody had a great time. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, because I ducked out of there at that point. I and think, I think. Go ahead. Sorry, Brett. I think I, I think I may have been approaching. I have a, I have a limit that I try to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And if I feel I'm approaching the edge of the abyss, I try and I have the wherewithal to say, get out, then I'll get out. I might sometimes just sneak out without saying goodbye because it's, it, I get to that point where if I have one more, mm-hmm. then I might wake up on my living room floor and with no memory of how I got home. Was I'm that a huge fan of that move. I just, get, I just go. I don't tell anybody. I'm just that. out. I just see you later. Yeah, yeah, Houdini or the bat signal goes off, and my bro- <laughs> my brother's the king of that. Where's Kev? He Houdini'd like forty five minutes ago, <laughs> and he just doesn't say goodbye. Don't he just, because people convince just goes, you to stay yeah. or have one more. Exactly. Or, but, but, or worse, they say before you go, I would mean to talk to you about A, B, or C, and you're like, I don't want to have a serious. Like, look at this face. Is this serious, <laughs> Loren? Face? We're not having a serious chat right now. Get out of here. You you're gonna pull the long goodbye on me? That's not happening. No. Was that? I think that was that the year I introduced you to the concept of the maritime shooter. I can't. I, I was. I was. wasn't sure if I should bring it up. I don't mind you bringing it up. Yeah, the maritime shooter. Uh, several friends from the East Coast, one in particular, on uh, the night of my stag, introduced me to the maritime shooter, and now it's part of my repertoire. So what is it? It's a well, your your cocktail of choice, and you reach into the glass and you pull the ice out, throw it on the floor, and. Slam back your your beverage all in one shot. Why? He was very boisterous. Because. Because. Just because? Yes, because. This is where things would take a turn, I think, if you started doing that en masse at a party. It's a dramatic shift of gears. Let's put it that way. There's also just, I think, like, when you watch that unfold, if you're the boss... You know what's your what what what's incumbent upon you to move in and just monitor the situation, uh, right? They're usually gone by then. Yeah, for a good reason. Yeah, like I didn't yeah. see it. They're on their own. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they'll, the bosses usually will sneak around and they'll be like, "Do you need any extra drink tickets? Okay, have fun, be responsible," and then they'll get out. At, I don't and know, that's when Greg reaches in his glass. Plausible and deniability. Yeah, that's when the personality uh, shift kicks in. It was quite the this the sight when I saw that. I think even my girlfriend at the time was like, "What's uh, what's with Greg?" I'm like, "Oh, he's just doing a maritime shooter." <laughs> No. <laughs> He's teaching us traditions from the East Coast. I'm, I'm learning you stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the holiday party, I think it can be a, a really great experience. Uh, the It can also be a bad one. And I remember, well, and not this, this was bad. <laughs> I won't name the, well, I, yeah, I won't name the person who was, who was called out. But this goes back years when I was relatively new at CJOB in like 2004 or 2005 and and one of our afternoon hosts here had herself a really good time and did, didn't do anything wrong she was just visibly intoxicated you know that kind of yelling screaming i love you merry christmas kind of thing and the next day <laughs> guys down the hall at power and it might have even been hal who was in on the gag but they're like oh yeah she had a great time <laughs> they, they they gave her the they presented her on the air with an honorary, what are they called? The, there's an award, something shower award. Lampshade? Lampshade. There it is. The lamp, What's that? Golden lampshade, I think is what it's basically you win for the drunkest person at the party award. <laughs> oh, and, and, and our boss at the time, Vic Grant, was livid. 
<laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I heard the bit when I was riding the bus on the way into work. I started howling listening to Power when talking about the Christmas party. I would not like to be called out like that. And the, the other thing I don't love about big parties, even small ones, is when the camera comes out. Like the camera never, like no uh, one's, no, 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 nobody no, no, no. ever taking pictures nope. when everybody arrives and looks good. It's like the ones at midnight and you got like, you got the red wine mouth or <laughs> half. I'm always in a state of like laughing. So it just looks like I'm like, I'm Jaws. Like, ah! like I just drives me nuts. And then people post those. Where were you at 7 p.m. with that camera? I'm suddenly not as sad. We don't have this Christmas party <laughs> anymore. Or do you have to keep it between, like the thing that's nice about certain settings is that it, it can be intimate and nice and it's yeah. fun. The bigger they get though, the harder I think it is yeah, to control. Yeah, and the tougher it is to control uh, the video and the pictures and stuff like that. Because let's face it, not not everything is for public consumption. No. Yeah. That, right? should be, that should be a conversation almost going in the door. Like hand me your phone. Instead of the key bowl from the 1970s or whatever Ooh. that used mm. to be, a phone bowl. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think I've taken a lot. I might have a video of the Maritime Shooter, but I don't think I posted that anywhere. And I, if I take, took a picture of our young colleague who was swinging his shirt around, that was just for fun. For fun. I would have never posted but that. some right. people would. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, uh, I do remember, though, the first year that CJOB and Global sort of became partners and came together for the Christmas party, that was probably the most fun I've ever had at a Christmas party because everybody was it was it, everybody was excited to meet the new kids on both sides. Was I there? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I walk into the table. I know exactly where you were sitting. <laughs> that was very clearly. I made myself known. Okay, yeah, all yeah. right, good. You did, and but it's sort of for our boss Heather. Oh, she yeah. was she was there too. It started like a grade seven sock hop. Though, like with the boys on one wall, <laughs> the girls on, one on the side, other, TV on the yeah, other, and then it just it took one person to cross the Rubicon and to break the ice and to start speaking to each other, and then of course because there there are people in common over the years that not nearly as many as there are now, mm-hmm. but it just yeah it just took one person to go. Are you gonna go talk to the TV <laughs> people? God, TV people are here. Oh, all the pretty gosh. girls from TV they think are they here. Look oh so gosh. good. Look at all the makeup that's on the TV people. <laughs> No. Do you ever, does this not bug you in just a regular house party, how it often divides into girl boys still? Does that happen in the ones you go to with friends? I was at one just on Saturday. I mean, to be fair, it was just an apartment, but it was, everybody was intermingling. Good. But of course it ended, like by the time I left the bulk of the party, and there were like 15 people in this apartment, they were in the kitchen. Oh, always. Always. And and it's, it's. it's not a small kitchen, but it's a narrow sure. kitchen, and like there's like ten style. people in there. Yeah, galley-ish. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, I, well, I guess I'm not getting another drink. I'm just going to leave because I can't get in the kitchen. <laughs> it's just the natural congregating yeah, place. I you know. could have the nicest bar set up, or like a beautiful living room, and have it all that be that your clean space where we're all going to hang out, and people inevitably are ending up around your like filthy sink. Oh, you you were chatting at, away. You were at my fiftieth yeah, birthday. I remember yeah. that. People were in the kitchen and in our backyard. We had the living room and the fa- and even the downstairs. We were prepared for people to be all over the house. Everybody's in the kitchen, in the kitchen. or on the deck. Yep. 